Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good evening, everyone. Great to have so many of you back. Show of hands, who was not here last night? Just so I can see, where were you? I'm just kidding. (laughs) Good to see you all. I'm glad you came to join us. Those of you who are back for the second night, I'm glad to have you back. Also, uh, as I said before, I've done quite a few parish missions. And in my experience, I'll never forget the first time I did a parish mission. I had given a bunch of talks. You go on a retreat, you give one talk. Okay, or yeah, you know, you go to a parish uh, pre-Cana day, you give a marriage talk. Youth group, you give a talk about Jesus. RCIA, you teach something. But I remember the first time I gave a parish mission, I was driving home, and I just had this sense in my heart that was not really enjoyable. I had this feeling, I was like, this is, I don't like the way this feels. And I'm talking with God as I'm driving home, and I'm saying, Lord, what is this? I don't like it. And I really felt like the Lord said to me, it's the difference between giving a talk and drawing people to me for three days. And I really felt the Lord was saying to me, it's not over. Like you're feeling the incompleteness of the fact that God wants to give the parish a gift of three days. Of him working on your hearts and you beginning to say yes more and more vulnerably so that he can do the beautiful restoration But it also takes three days. So this morning I woke up and I had that feeling this morning. And I thought, oh, I know this now. I'm not brand new. And I began to pray with it and said, Lord, you know, uh, there's people all over the country praying for all of you, all three nights. So I just sent it out to all these different groups. Some are cloistered nuns. Some are not cloistered nuns. There's priests. There's married couples, families that pray the rosary every night all over the country are praying for us, not just tonight, but throughout the days. So there really is an intercessory happening for you. And so this morning, as I was praying into it, I just kind of had a sense that perhaps some of you, in my sense was mainly more the men than the women, but it was a sense that maybe all of you are hearing what I'm saying, and it's interesting, it's nice information to think about, but it kind of is staying on the informative level because the fact to let it soak into the performative level, that's really scary. And some of you here, I think, are just like, I don't know about that. It's fun to think about. It's nice to be with the community that seems to be coming alive. He juggles and dances up front. It's nice to watch him for an hour. But to actually have this be performative. And As I was praying into this, I got the sense and prayer isn't infallible, but it is indispensable. So I was getting the sense that I want to let you know that it mattered. Whatever it was in your life that maybe yourself or people around you didn't let you know that it mattered how you felt or it mattered how something affected you, I want to let you know in the name of Jesus it mattered. And I want to give you permission that you no longer have to live out of the narrative of your family stories 
that maybe always bring up that thing in a joking way, kind of bullying you and outnumbering you to have to laugh as well. But when you were five or eight or six or 15 and that thing happened, it was anything but laughable for you. It hurt. Or I want to give you permission to say, if you were mocked and teased for something you genuinely loved and thought was awesome as a kid, but your buddies didn't know how to rejoice with you in something that was like that, and so you just hid your heart and said, Whoom, I will not allow people to know these things. I want to let you know that Jesus loves those things. He loves the things that give you life and bring you joy. Because as we learned yesterday, he's a part of them. So for whatever that's worth, if it blesses a few of you, great. If everyone here is like, I don't know, when's he going to start the night? It's coming soon. All right. So I just want to let you know. The second thing was is, I was asking Jesus, what should I be praying for? And the word is power. That there's a power that's at work in us. That the scriptures say can do more than we could ask for or imagine. And it's a power in the deepest part of your heart and in mine. Wanting to make the scriptures seem like those miracles weren't anything. They, we'd be like, ha, those? Look what God's doing now. And if you think, uh, excuse me, Father, you might want to remember your place in humility. That is the Bible. Jesus said, you will do greater works than these. That's not Father Ryan Man. that's Jesus Christ. He said, my spirit will come upon you and you will be able to do greater works than these. So there is a power that isn't destructive, isn't aggressive, isn't against us. It's a power that's for us. Maybe setting us free from things from the past, but I just want to remind you, just like the Blessed Mother, God doesn't do things apart from our yes. And so tonight we need to give our yes. We need to keep giving our yes. And sometimes the yes is, Lord, I don't know how to say yes. I don't know how to let you have this. I don't know how to let go. I want to. I'm being drawn there. I'm open to it, but I don't know what to do. That's great prayer. Continuing to be vulnerable and stepping into relationship. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yesterday, if you remember, we uh, watched a commercial together that was a little heavy-handed. Right? Everyone's like, oh my gosh, I was crying when he picked up that little girl. <laughs> so I want to let you know that our hearts can sometimes be moved to tears. Sometimes they can be moved to joy. And so I got another commercial to start the night. So here's a commercial for all of us tonight. kind of want to, you want to, <laughs> whenever I see an older white guy on a dance floor not knowing what he's doing, but all the way out there, I'm like, oh, I can get out there now. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, good art speaks to the heart. Good art speaks to the heart, and our hearts are the place of encounter, and when we encounter Jesus, we begin to discover the path that leads to life to the full. Joy, freedom, love. I mean, you don't dance like that with a stranger. That's a father and son narrative woven into the next generation. And it speaks to us of all sorts of things 
that our own dads or moms have done and then we pass on and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'd do that now. It speaks to us. And right there in that humanity that's rumbling, Pope John Paul II said, it's the deepest part of our humanity. The eros, that longing. And so often what we do is we share with God our longing. We say, Lord, would you, would you help me find peace? Would you help me to forgive that person? Would you change that person's life? And then although we say it, in our hearts we really mean, I'm just telling you what I'm going to try to do on my own. And God goes, oh, well, then I'll just watch, I guess. Since you don't actually want my help, you're just telling me what you're going to really work hard at. And yet our God is this Father who wants to dance with us, to make us laugh and smile. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving our hearts, especially in the places where we feel small, where there's so much fear about how much we actually need you. We thank you for the gift of your Son who not only transfers us into your embrace, but is the model for us on how to live, how to find the path where you desire to fill us full. Lord, I ask for that power upon this place. Send your Holy Spirit who is called the power of the Most High and the Father of the poor. May he come into the poverty of our hearts. Give us the grace we need tonight to say yes. Help us to understand how you see us so that we may step closer to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Last night I asked you to just kind of be aware of what speaks to your heart, either from last night or when you went home. Songs, commercials, movies, TV shows, conversations, emails. And just, just start noticing what's going on in your heart and begin to be aware of how often... Like all of us don't share with God what's going on in our hearts. We just kind of figure it out on our own. And then later on we go to God with the things we've deemed worthy of God. And so we have this all bifurcated life. And Jesus is like, I really just love all of you. I want to know everything. Like he knows every hair on our head. That's, and I look out, that's more than up for some. But nonetheless, it's still, you know, it's an important thing. I'm losing mine, it's all good. But like every part of you matters to God. In fact, in the scriptures it says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. And you know what we do? We tell him some of the things. Or we give him news updates. And so the real transforming power of the Holy Spirit kind of gets like mitigated. Oh, I am, I've already decided and deemed that God would do X, Y, and Z. But there's no way he can do A through Z. Why? Well, because I, I don't think it could happen. Well, good news, God isn't dependent on our little minds. <laughs> so last night, uh, we went to the Browns watch party a little bit. Some of you who talked to me afterwards, I don't know what you said to me. I'm sorry, I was tired. I don't know what you said. I tried to smile and nod, but if it was important, you're going to have to tell me again. <laughs> um, but then I went back to the rector and said, I need to just numb out with a little TV before I go to bed. So there was the... Uh, the like non-animated version of Lion King, 
right? They kind of look like real animals. Raise your hand if you see this or know what I'm talking about. Okay, about 30%. It's going to be harder to describe. So it looks like real animals, but they're, it's computer generated. Okay, so it's not the animated film Lion King that you remember from the 90s, right? No, this is actually like computer generated uh, animals. I kind of knew that, but the thing was I was tired. So I'm like, how did they teach these lions to do this? <laughs> and I'm watching it for a while in awe. I'm like, oh, and they don't even hunt the hyenas? This is, this is some amazing zoo. But it's kind of one of those moments where you're like, you, you know better. Why are you even thinking this? But I kind of was just in that daze. And what really snapped me out of it when I was like, Oh, no, you can't teach a bamboo, like a baboon to grab a stick and hit lions. That ain't going to happen. It was the monkey that convinced me, oh, this is computers, okay? <laughs> but here's the thing. As I was watching it, remember I said, be aware of our hearts. There's the scene, I happen to turn it on, right as the scene where Akuna Matata begins, right? And we all fell in love with the song. Was it Elton John? I don't know who wrote it. Yeah, Elton John. He wrote this snappy little song, and we're all walking around in the 90s. Oh, what a wonderful phrase. You know, we're all singing and dancing around. But yesterday I'm watching it, and I'm getting angry. And I'm like, well, I better listen to my own advice if I'm going to have any credibility the second night. So I'm like, what's going on? Why am I getting upset? Here's the reason is because if you know the story of Lion King, Simba's a small lion. He gets lied to by Scar, his mean uncle. Scar kills his dad, who's the king, and tells him, tells everyone he killed him and said, no one will love you, no one will forgive you, you killed your dad, run and never come back. So that's what he does. He runs off into this far land, into a foreign land. He forfeits his identity and greatness as the heir to the kingdom. And he now lives with this warthog and this weird cat creature thing. I don't even know what it is. All right. And they just go around singing Akuna Matata, which means no worries for the rest of your days. Right? It's the problem-free philosophy. And they go around singing this. Right? And I'm getting like angry at these. At, I still thought it was real animals at this point. I'm getting angry. And I'm like, the reason I'm mad is Simba has been lied to, and he's in pain. And rather than help him address the pain and face the fear, did I kill my dad and would anyone still love me if that was true? The philosophy of, hey, we don't worry about anything, came to his rescue. And as it came to his rescue, do you know what he forfeited? His kingdom. You know what he forfeited? His greatness. You know what he forfeited? His true identity. He was eating bugs. He couldn't even roar like a lion. And see, what I want to tell you is that our culture doesn't always want to numb us out and have us removed from Jesus by making us evil. The devil, the fallen angels in our culture are really happy just that you don't care too much. Let's have things not be too good and call to your hearts through beauty. And let's have things not be too bad where the pain would make us actually face something. Instead, let's just keep like bumper lanes when you're, bumper, when you're bowling. Just this nice, safe little place. And we have forgotten who we are. We have forfeited our greatness. We don't even know how to roar. And Jesus came to say, you have a place in the kingdom, not of a lion, but of God. You and no one else has your place in that kingdom. And where is it revealed? 
through Jesus speaking to our hearts. And our hearts, we're always trying to avoid them. Remember the theme of the whole week, week, we have three days together is there ain't no cure for being human. Well, I think the first thing we need to realize is we're trying to find a cure from being human because there's times where being human is really hard, scary, and painful. What Jesus uses, the images he uses to speak to those places in our hearts, in our relationships, he uses many images, but the two primary ones are to be like a child and to be poor. To be like a child, dependent, trusting, needy, gigantic dreams and desires that you don't know if they'll ever be fulfilled. To be poor, feel your limits, need help, reaching out, calling out. And when we feel these things in our hearts, we call that bad, and we try to hide those with all sorts of masks. But here's tonight's goal. We're invited to stop calling bad what Jesus himself called blessed. This has been a long journey I've been on. I've never given this talk before, and I'm still learning a lot about it, but I realize that for most of us, we're at odds with God because we don't love what he loves, namely our littleness, how vulnerable, fragile, and dependent we are. We go, ah. We don't like that we can get hurt. So when we hear about Jesus healing, when we hear about redemption and holiness, our mind adds to that a subcategory, which I'll be holy if it means I never have to get hurt again. And the irony is, our role model, our hero, our savior, our God, saves us by being hurt on a cross. And we're like, is there another way? Like, maybe we don't have to go through a bloody mess in order to get to glory. I'm sure I can know a guy. And so we don't want to have to face the relationships and the people who have hurt us. We don't want to have to recognize how often we carry self-contempt at our own creation, that we are woundable. Another word for that is vulnerable. That we have needs, dreams, desires, limits. And we'll do anything to escape these things, to run away from them. So I want to begin with a quote. Monsignor Lorenzo Albacete, he is my hero. We don't have time tonight for me to talk about how much I love this man who I've never met, but uh, he was a good friend of Pope John Paul II. He was a physicist before he became a priest, uh, and he died in 2014. And all sorts of beautiful encounters of God's grace, of me meeting his personal assistants, his best friends, and then during quarantine, I got to be on an interview panel with priests talking about the importance of him I'm being the only one who never actually met him. So just a very important man in my life. But he says this, our search will inevitably reveal that we are structurally disproportionate, which means our desire is bigger than our ability to fill it. It's like being a cup, but there's no liquid to fill it. We cannot tolerate this structural disproportion. I am made for a particular fulfillment 
that I cannot find. But I'm going to find it one way or another. I'm toying with trying to tell a story about Monsignor Albacete because I love him so much, but I have to be disciplined on respect for your time in this mission. But another time I'll tell stories about him. So, as you take your heart seriously, as you begin to listen to the cry of your humanity as a man and a woman, you're going to recognize desires that don't seem to make sense, that seem way too big. And many of you, after decades and decades of experiencing these desires, have already deemed them irrational, immature, or selfish, and therefore you've mitigated them, you minimized them, you found ways to numb them. What are these desires that I'm speaking of? Well, we desire never to be lied to or deceived. And when we are, we, hey, right? Anger is the voice of our heart feeling the injustice of a life. Hey, I don't want to be lied to. I don't want to be misled. We want good friends that remain close, who never move away, who never, for whatever reason, go backwards in the friendship. We were really close and then it went the other way, or who don't die. We want people we love, spouses, kids, parents. We don't want them to die. We don't want to be taken advantage of or seen anyone else taken advantage of. We want to be seen and known as a gift. And I'd like you to raise your hand if you've ever noticed any of these desires in your own life. Well, congratulations, you're all human beings. Good. You looked like it, but last night I thought those were lions, so I had to check. So this isn't some subjective feeling. These are rumblings in us of God's plan. And yet we, we can't generate this kind of life. right? We have these desires and it's not within your intellect or your willpower or your discipline calendar or your checkbook or who you know and whatever to generate that kind of life. It's not in mine either. And so what we have are desires that automatically put us in a posture of needing another to fulfill them. Our hearts, the reason we don't like to live in and from our hearts is our hearts remind us that we are not fulfilled on our own. We are not self-sufficient. That being self-reliant is one of the most seductive lies. Now, of course, there's a sense in which you're meant to be able to brush your teeth and bathe yourself, okay? There's some of those things that are obvious. But these kind of needs and desires of the heart, they make us dependent, poor, little, full of needs and calling out like a child. Let's try a little experiment. We're going to have some fun. Imagine you're at Mass, and I do this. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Do you? And when we say that, what are we lifting up? 
Our hearts are like the chalice. I was going to put my chalice out, but I forgot. Our hearts are like a chalice. We tend to think our hearts are like a diamond. And different images help for sure. So they're all analogies trying to help us, right? But the diamond image is like, oh, once I get in touch with this, I have a thing there that's beautiful and wonderful. But the truth is, your heart and mind is much like a chalice. It's gold and glorious, but it's empty. The core of who you are and who I am is an empty openness looking for fulfillment, right? I am made for particular fulfillment, Albacete says, that I cannot find, which he means I cannot find within myself on my own, but I'm going to find it one way or another. If you go downtown Cleveland and you see someone eating out of a dumpster, we don't yell at them for being hungry. But because they're starving, they're going to find fulfillment one way or another. That's what Jesus sees when he looks at you and me. Whether you're eating, I always use this example. I never used it until I got here. But double stuff Oreos, sleeves at a time, all right? Or you're watching six hours of Netflix. Or you're doing retail therapy, right? You feel kind of, eh, blah, I'll just buy some stuff. Or you're looking at porn, or you're drinking too much, or you're cheating on your spouse, or you're involved in corrupt business deals because it gives you some excitement in life. Jesus sees you as a hungry man or woman going to a dumpster. And his first move is not to say, your heart is bad and wrong. He says, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for? What are you trying to get out of this? Because the truth is, you and I are empty, longing vessels. We're so small. We're so dependent. We're so vulnerable and fragile. And we treat ourselves and others like, why can't you just, and then fill in the blank of how we want other people to be stronger, smarter, faster, more beautiful, more wealthy, more connected. In essence, we want you to be something you're not. Why can't you just be made in my image and likeness? Then I could perfectly love you rather than God's. So what do you do when you feel inadequate? What do you do when you feel this poverty, this childlike longing and need? You know what most of us do? We run. (laughs) We call it bad, hide it, and then we project out to the world a mask. And each of you and me, we have our own favorite two or three masks. In my life, when I was in the seminary, since it was all philosophy and theology, I was going to be like the next Thomas Aquinas. In fact, you want to know how pathetic this was? Every paper I wrote at the seminary, I made sure to quote Thomas Aquinas. So in case I died and the Vatican opened a cause of canonization for me, they could read all of my papers and say, Well, look how faithful he was to church teaching. (laughs) Huge place of insecurity. Didn't think I was enough. So I had to go out of my way to prove to myself, but in my mind, the whole world, I was. I read an article a few years ago about this guy who was on an amazing journey. And he was uh, a man who became a Christian, who became Catholic, and he just kept pursuing truth. He wasn't going to settle at anything less than what is real. Like, is there a God? Okay, yes. Is Christianity a religion? He looked into that, yes. And his journey eventually took him into a journey in his own masculinity. 
because he knew he wasn't comfortable with who he was as a man. And this is why. He liked to drink apple teenies. Kind of notoriously a woman's drink, okay? But is there such a thing as a woman's drink? It's kind of what this article was all about. And so he knew when he was out with his bros, when he was out with his buddies, right? He's like, what are you guys getting? They're like, Coors Light. I'll have a Coors Light too. He's like, what are you getting? We're getting bourbon. Yeah, bourbon, me too. Whatever one you're getting, I'll love. And he knew he was suppressing part of who he was because he deemed that it wouldn't be lovable or good. It wasn't cool. It wasn't masculine. I'm sorry for the term, but this guy said, I labeled it as gay, homosexual. And he said, it never dawned on him that he in fact wasn't gay. (laughs) That wasn't what his heart was afraid of. His heart was afraid of, this would make me gay. And so he had so much fear and shame hiding his genuine love of an apple teeny. So he talks about, he began to pray and study what was God's plan for masculinity, what defines a man. And as he went through it, he began to recognize in his mind he knew all along what was true and real. But his heart did not. And he talked about the great freedom he discovered in realizing the judgments and beliefs he carried were coming from all sorts of people, but not God. What was determining his behavior with some of his closest friends was not God's love, creation, and plan for him. It was his fears based on other people's brokenness in his life that were tossed at him. I know girls who hate talks and women's breakout sessions about you're beautiful and you're princess. Because they're like, I like swinging baseballs. Like, I like swinging a baseball bat. I like playing sports. Don't tell me I have to be in a dress and all these things. There's these rigid stereotypes and judgments and values that other people have put on us. Moms, dads, uncles, aunts, cousins, older brothers and sisters, the cool group in high school. Oh, you didn't wear those jeans. You didn't have that sweater. And so there's little parts of us just desiring to be accepted and welcomed and affirmed. And it's been hurt so many times. And so, whom? We hide our hearts from others and more times than not, even God. So this guy talked about his journey, about how much freeing it was for him, and he discovered, I know what freedom means. It means to live according to the truth of God and no one else. And he said, as he began to drink apple teenies with his friends and tell them about his journey, he said, one of the guys there was like, I like strawberry daiquiris. Freedom, according to God's plan. So whose eyes are you looking at your littleness with? Your dad who wanted you to be stronger, faster, smarter at sports? Your mom who wanted you to be sweeter, prettier, have this kind of hair, have this thing? Your older brother who called you a dork or a loser? Your sister who just said, you're so annoying, you'll never be beautiful enough. The mean girls at school, the bullies. 
Whose eyes are you looking at your life with? Because oftentimes we get it backwards. Oftentimes we see one thing and we're quick to judge. And God, who is so tender and patient, takes a while to show us the beauty of his truth. Here's a video that helps us understand that. We're so quick to judge. We miss out on the beauty of the revelation that's about to happen. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark says, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The word repent, we kind of treat moralistically. Like, all right, get my life in order. But actually in Greek, what Jesus was conveying was metanoia, which it means go beyond the mind you have. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now leave your way of seeing and thinking and evaluating things and come join Jesus's, the kingdom. Let go of the way of what is good and bad and the values of the culture, the world, etc. What makes us lovable as if God made a mistake when he made us. Let go of that and enjoy and soak in Jesus' way of seeing you. The way Jesus sees God. The way Jesus sees creation. And one of the most radical things is he says in Matthew 18, the followers are debating who's the best in the kingdom. And we're like, well, who would do that? But what he's really saying, they're like, well, you have these gifts, I have this gift. And built in, like, and yours is like, you know, Lord, don't hear about my gift, I'm doing all these things. And Jesus stops, pulls a little kid in his midst, and tells them, unless you turn and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You guys are debating about who's the best. Why don't you worry about getting in? Why does Jesus say that? Because little children look like Jesus before the Father. How? Dependent, trusting, open, needy, hearts wide open. Kids, I said this in a homily one time, you ask a kid, what do you want to be when they grow up? They're like, I want to be a firefighter, an astronaut, a farmer, and a teacher. Really broken adults say, well, you have to choose one. People who understand love say, and I bet you're going to be the best at all of them. Love is a way of seeing reality that puts you in sync with God. It doesn't say everything is permissible. It says, I know the truth of how you're created, and I want to be an ally on your way to fulfillment. Our littleness, our vulnerabilities, our poverties, our needs, our dependence, our trust, our longings is what Jesus invites us to be reconciled with. There ain't no cure for being human. It's a lot easier to repent of external sins than it is to finally accept you and I are totally dependent on the Father for his love, grace, and mercy. That we don't get to win every argument. 
That it's not that we have to be the smartest, funniest, prettiest. The fact is, when you follow Jesus, you're like, I don't even need to play the game. There is no that one's funnier, this one's smarter, that one's better. It's each one is unique and unrepeatable. I make something of God present to the world no one else does. It's not the fullness, but it's something. And it's loved by the Father. These places of need are experienced in our developmental years, especially high school, college, when we get out in the real world, oftentimes as places of liability, right? You don't want to be the needy friend. And when you had needs, depending on your parents' ability, where they were in their own walk with God, they were able to maybe be gracious and tender, or they couldn't be, or you never knew your mom or your dad. And so your longings for love, attention, life, encouragement, truth, goodness, beauty could have gone unmet. And you absorb all sorts of lies about your desires and your littleness. Here's a quote from a cardinal of the church. He says this. The child can experience its absolute neediness as something other than a threat since it is lived as the situation in which the mother's ever-latent love may be realized anew. If God's calling, tell him I'll get back later. <laughs> Hans Urs von Balthasar. You don't name many people Urs anymore, but... A child who's born into a family of love, doesn't even think that their needs are ever a burden or a problem, but actually the very setting by which they experience love. You ever have a little kid be like, up, up. The kid can't even get high enough on their own. But any parent in the world or adult who has a little kid's reckless, abandoned, vulnerable heart saying, up, up, you will pick that kid up as high as you can. Or, like, all the kid knows is a crib, right? And the crib is just, I cry when I'm hungry. I cry when I'm scared or lonely. I cry when I need changed. And their needs being cried out are met by usually the, develop, the early years of mother, but also fatherhood. And somewhere along the line, we believe that the needs of our hearts for love, life, goodness, friendship, justice, truth, encouragement, forgiveness, that somehow that, that's a burden, that that becomes a liability, no longer a gift. That right there is where you can spend a year talking to Jesus. Jesus, when did I learn that my heart was a burden, not a gift? Who or when in my life was that conveyed to me? I was trying to remember exactly when this memory happened. I think it was around fourth grade. My older brother, he's my half-brother, he's six years older than me, and my good friend at the time, uh, who was about two years older than me, uh, 
I, I, they always were older than me, right? So they were better at sports, they were stronger, and they kind of got along really well. And uh, obviously, they wouldn't know each other apart from me, so I was a part of it. But I always felt a little inadequate. I wasn't as big, strong, as fast. I wasn't as witty. Didn't understand some of the jokes they were telling exactly. But I really had a desire to be a part of, to be welcomed, to belong. And I remember just simply they were, my friend was just saying, I saw you talking to Christina, who I was in fourth grade, this girl Christina, I think we were in a play together or something. And I was like, yeah. I was like, Christina was showing me a birthmark on her like upper shoulder. And I remember my half-brother and my buddy said, you saw Christina's boobie. You saw Christina's boob. And I felt so mortified. Because I shared with them, like, I, 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 Christina's a friend. I got to talk. I was being so vulnerable with the deep desire, please welcome me. Accept me. And right in that desire, I felt mocked and kicked to the side. Now, this didn't come back to me until I was in the seminary. It's a fourth grade, you're 20 something grade. Um, and I'm praying with... Lord, why am I embarrassed to share with people what I really like? Why when someone says, hey, name, this is what happened. Someone, I was, someone said, hey, name three things you love. And it's like I didn't know how to speak English all of a sudden. I was like, uh, like froze. Well, that's a weird thing to freeze over. They, weren't say, they didn't ask me my biggest sin. What are, the three things, what are three things you really love? I was like, ha, ah. And so I'm like, Lord, what was that moment? Would you show me? And this memory popped up. I was like, well, that's kind of weird memory. By the way, wherever Christina is, tell her I said hi. And as I sat with this, I said, Lord, are you trying to tell me something? Listening, trying to... I was like, what was that memory all about? It's always in the particulars. Always in the particulars. I realized I had like this little boy, fourth grade love and affection for Christina. Right, like I got a crush on her. And I knew I couldn't just say that because I didn't feel safe enough with my half-brother and friend, right? But I kind of shared it the best I could, and they mocked me. And when you're in fourth grade and they're older, you can't process the fact that there's still boys who are in middle school. <laughs> it's not like they have the most emotional and relational maturity in the world. You can't make that distinction at that age. So there was this wound, boom, right in my heart. And along with the wound came this vow and lie. I will never let someone know what I deeply love. So guess what happens when you grow up that way? Your heart grows in the dark. And things that grow in the dark get twisted and full of pus and mold. We call that sin in our tradition. The heart isn't bad. Our hearts are good. Remember yesterday? They may be broken and hurting and really little. Remember Albacete's thing? I need to find fulfillment no matter what. So I began a journey of trying to find fulfillment, but without actually being in touch with the deep place that I needed the fulfillment to happen. If I told you this story at a party, we'd be, ah, I got stories to you. Tell me how your brother mocked you or all the but see, it hurt, and it hurt in such a deep way 
And of course, the powers of darkness have been trying to enslave you and I, so we never know the power of the Father through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to set us free. Free to be what? Free to be who we were created to be. So what do we do? Hakuna Matata. No worries. It mattered. If it mattered to your heart, it mattered to God. Father, do I have to go back to all six billion memories that I have with my brother? Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get all this done. You need to go back to the ones the Holy Spirit leads you back to. He's not going to ask you to go over everything because that's one of the ways we hide, right? Oh, that's too much. I'm just going to what? Wall off my heart and continue doing what I've always done. But the Holy Spirit is going to lift up some things. And these places where we feel so small, so broken, so embarrassed, so full of need, they're the situation in which the mother's ever-latent love may be realized anew. Meaning they're the very places where I have come to know what God's love is like. And it's so tender. It is so patient. So much so that there was times where Jesus, don't you want to fix me yet? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I don't want to fix you because I don't think you are a problem to be fixed. You're a person to be enjoyed and spend time with. I'm not special. I mean, I'm unrepeatable just like all of us are, right? But we're all like snowflakes, okay. But these gifts, this is Christianity. This is the revelation of the scriptures. This is the teaching of every saint that Christ can heal and redeem, that there's a power in his name. What does the power do? It doesn't destroy us. It says in the Gospel of John, this power transforms us for those who believe in him. He gives them a power to become the children of God. How do you become a child of someone? Well, you got to be adopted, which he does in baptism. But what else? you got to know the Father. What is the organ for knowing the Father? The heart. And the heart receives the scriptures, the church teachings, and the sacraments. And if we're vulnerable enough, it seeps in. Jesus' humanity, the physicalness of the sacraments, are the envoy, the vehicle, the instrument by which the ever-flowing love of the Father pours into creation and into your bodies so that where you have felt like nobody, you can become somebody because you've always been somebody to him. This is the gospel. It's the good news. So how do we heal? We heal by letting the truth and love of Jesus into the places we hide. So I want to just go through four areas of poverty because sometimes it can be abstract. So this kind of helps us touch it and then I'm going to play a video and then we're going to end in song together, okay? So where do we experience poverty? And it's important that we hear this because our imaginations are so uh, literalized through science and technology and then, or, or they're just imbued like with sci-fi fantasy novels that sometimes we lose the ability to understand simple metaphors and analogies. So when we say poverty, we don't mean destitute. 
We don't have to be naive over the fact that if you're living in Brecksville, Broadview Heights area, you're not in East Cleveland. Okay? For many of you, things are going well financially, and that's good. You don't ever have to be embarrassed about that. Having money is never a sin. How you have money may be a conversation for you and God, meaning like, do I hold on to it tight? Am I open and generous? That may be a question. Where do I actually trust? But there's no shame in being good at a trade or being talented enough where you've been able to be paid. None at all there. All right? So, what do we mean when we say poverty then? I'm going to go through four of them that can help you. The first and most obvious poverty that we all experience is called death. You are all going to die, and so will I. And some of us just presume, right? I do this a lot, that it's going to be someday. But we don't know. We really don't know. I can remember my uncle's dad. So what does that make him? My great uncle, I guess? We went to a funeral, and it was his wife that died. And I was, I was young, maybe six years old. Maybe a little older, actually, now that I think about it. But I remember the husband, the wife had died, and we're all at the graveside, and he threw himself on the casket, pounding, no, no, take me, take me. I can't live without you. We can't prevent death. Right? It's a poverty. It's a limit. People die. Now, we should do within reason what we can to help people at the end of life and prolong things, and medicine is a gift. We don't need to go back to the Stone Ages, right? But all we can do is sometimes prolong. But death is a poverty. What's another poverty? Personhood. What do I mean by this? You are you and you're not me. I'm not you, you're not me. You're not the person next to you. You're a unique, unrepeatable image of God. That's a limit. Because if you are an interested, if you're an introverted bookworm type, and all of a sudden you're in a setting where everyone's talking and you're going to spend a whole day around 50 people and never get alone time, you're going to have stress and anxiety and think, I can't do that. If you're an extroverted type and you like being around people all day long and they give you life, the idea of reading a book and being alone for long hours, you're like, ah, I don't think that's going to be a great idea. Well, should I be more like that person? Should I be more like that person? No. You, you and I don't have to be everything. Because there's a poverty there. And when we understand the poverty well, we're able to say, I'm at peace with my humanity and I can give you the space to be you. All of you have experienced this here in the past year and a half when I got here, right? You knew Father Walt, and he had immense gifts and talents, but he didn't have every gift and talent. Now you've known me. I have very different gifts and talents than Father Walt. Right? It'd be wrong for you guys to say, oh, thank God he's gone, now we got you, or it'd be wrong to say to me, we want him back because we're very different. It's a poverty. Or, I know there's some priests in the diocese who are complaining about this one priest who wasn't doing a great job at his parish. And finally, someone said, we can't be mad at him for not having the gifts that the parish needs. Right? God made him with a particular set of gifts. 
Now, we can be upset at the diocese that they match these two up and it's a bad fit. Or we can be upset that he's not living his gifts generously or he's not able to admit that he doesn't have the gifts needed. We can be upset about that. But we can't be mad that he doesn't have those gifts. God made him that way. It's a poverty. We're all very small, very limited. Here's a third poverty, the poverty of time. You and I are not where we're going to be a year from now. If I came back and did this mission next year, it would be better next year because I'd have more time. I would have learned more. I would have heard more. I would have prayed more. We grow over time. Time is a poverty. We're stuck now. We knew that very much over COVID. What is it? Where does it come from? How do we defeat it? How do we do all these things? And in the process of not knowing, people who are at peace with their humanity could say, we don't know yet. People who want to escape their humanity gave a reason, then a new reason. Let's try that. We're going to do this. Why? Because we don't like being poor. We don't like having to wait and be dependent. When I first got here, some people on staff kept telling me over and they're here tonight, so they'll laugh. They'll know because I tease him about this. Or her. So, and they're like, what's your vision? What's your mission? What's your plan? So I don't got one. I don't know. Well, if you could just give us a vision that we could help you get there. I'm like, yeah, I, I know how it works. <laughs> I just don't have that thing that you want me to have because it takes time. A good example of this, and I don't, I'm not endorsing him, right, is just is LeBron James. You know, what's your plan for this new team? He says, it's a long season. We'll see. Because he knows he can't go in with a plan and just impose it because he has to wait on time. Who's going to be healthy? Who's going to get hurt? What are the talents that each guy has on the team? He knows that part of it. It's a poverty. Finally, the poverty of love. This is one of the hardest ones. The poverty of love. This is why you say, will you marry me? Not, you're going to marry me. We can't force, coerce, manipulate, or get things out of people. If we're going to love someone well, we have to allow them to be free. Parents experience this really well when you see your middle school or high schooler dressing the way they do or choosing to live a certain way. We notice this also, right? When we want something for someone or from them and they say no, and we get so angry, even though we asked. I remember I really experienced the gift of being loved well by a man named Father Mark Toops. He directed me on a 30-day silent retreat, and I had him in the morning, and he always wanted me to post the weather in the breakfast area so that those on a 30-day silent retreat, we'd know what the weather would be like so we wouldn't be outside walking and getting rained on, right? Because we didn't read, watch, paper, uh, have the news or anything. We were silent. And at the end of every meeting, he simply said, Hey, Ryan, would you be willing to hang this up in the breakfast area. Not, hey, could you do this real quick for me? Or not, hey, oh, go hang this up like you did yesterday. Every day. Ryan, would you be willing to hang this up? I remember the first few times, like, just give me this sheet of paper already. He's like, <laughs> do it every day. I get it. It's part of the thing, all right? But see, it was love. He created a space for me to be free. 
where I could say yes or no. Because he knew if he's going to love, he has to become poor. These human realities are tough to live, but what's amazing is the God of the universe entered into them. The God of the universe took on these same exact poverties to show us there ain't no cure for being human. To show us that these exact areas are now a part of something holy and beautiful. That he, it's as if he runs to us, takes us in these poverties by the hand, and we run with him into the lap of the Father so God can hold us both. Right? The death on the cross. It says Jesus breathed his last. He went into the poverty of death. He who was the Lord of life entered into the mystery of death. So that now saints can die with a smile on their face because they know I'm not without love himself. I know the one I'm dying with. My last breath gets to be with and for Jesus just like every other breath. He's here with me. It's not an abyss. How about personhood? Jesus calls us by name. Built into that is he didn't need Peter to be John or James to be Luke. He wanted Peterness and Johnness. The end of the Gospel of John, Peter's with Jesus. And he says, Hey, I heard rumors that John's not going to die before you come back. Is that true? And in there, you can be like, I kind of want to be in on that. And this is what Jesus says He goes, If he's here or not, what concern of that is of yours? You follow me. He's like, Whoa, Peter, I love you as Peter. I don't love you as the one who gets to also be with John. There's no conditions on my love. I love you as a person. How about the body of Christ, right? St. Paul says we're all like a body. Jesus is the head. We're all different members. Why should the foot want to be the eye or the hand want to be the knee bone or whatever? You know, Each person has a role and a part. Jesus enters in and loves these limits. You know who doesn't love them? Us. Well, that one's so cool. They get to do all the nice stuff. And it's like, well, first off, let's ask, do you really desire that? Or do you feel like you're supposed to desire that? Because if you really desire it, then yeah, God may want you there. May want you to speak up and say, hey, I, th I think I can do that. But a lot of times it's like, well, I just think that's the better role because in the culture and the people I'm around, they tend to really like that thing. And I'm doing this other stuff and no one even notices. She's like, oh, I get it. I know why that hurts. But let's not have you rebel from your creaturely status. How about time? Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. So Jesus lived in time knowing that the fullness of his life was coming, but it wasn't right now, so he had to wait. Jesus also walked from town to town, so we'd read those as throwaway lines, like, you know, we would say now, like, he walked from Brexfield to Independence, right? And we just read that in line of scripture and keep moving. But that's a journey. So there was time. Or how about he laid three days in a tomb? See, all of our poverties are ways of becoming intimate with Jesus. And he can take us from these places that we feel so embarrassed of and say, that's the very place the Father gets to love and provide for you. Finally, love. Do you remember the story of the rich young man? Jesus says, sell everything and come follow me. Like you get to be with me in my inner group. 
And it says, the rich man turned and walked away sad. That Jesus lets us be free. He doesn't chase us down. He doesn't coerce or force. He doesn't say, do you know who I am? No, he says, I invited you. And you're walking away. Nothing I can do. I've invited you. I love you. And he aches for us. Or in John 6, he gives the teaching of the, of the Eucharist and all these people leave. Like almost everyone, actually. And he turns to the few left and he says, are you too going to leave? Doesn't force. The God of the universe does not manipulate. Just he becomes poor. And says, will you please love me? I hope you know this, that with the proper clarifications, you don't have to go to Mass on Sunday. You don't have to pray. You don't have to go to confession. You don't have to try to be holy. You don't have to do anything. You can go off and just do whatever you want with your life. God's not going to yell. God's not going to hunt you down. God's not going to coerce. He's not going to force. He'll invite. If he's going to love you, he has to let you know there's going to be consequences. Just like if you jump off a building, someone says, hey, you're going to land on ground and it's going to hurt. You might not want to just jump. He'll let you know consequences, but he lets you be free. And some of us, I fear, still go to Mass on Sundays because our parents, who might have died years ago, were afraid they're going to be mad. So is the answer that it stopped going? Not necessarily. But it is to recognize you have freedom. And Jesus loves that you choose him. And he's sad when you don't. But he will not yell and scream and force and coerce. So let's land this plane together tonight with a video here. This video is the story of an older married couple. Right? And it's a cartoon version, but you're going to hear the audio go over it. Uh, and they're from New York. You can hear the accent. They're married for a very long time. But you're going to see all these poverties on display in one little animated video. And you're going to see why in spouses, when the other spouse, when your beloved is poor, limited, vulnerable, needy, it's a great gift that you get to be there with tenderness, care, and generosity in their places of need. And it becomes a beautiful story of the gift of marriage. But I want to remind you, as beautiful as the human story is, God's the one who comes to us in Jesus. It's beautiful when a man and woman can do this for each other. How much more beautiful when the creator of the stars says, I want to provide for you. I want to protect you. I want to bless you. I want to be there with you and for you. So I want you to watch this video and remember, check in with your heart and to see what God does for you. I'll read a few things because it's hard to read some of the uh, words that come up. I'll read those, but the rest of it you'll be able to see. So come Holy Spirit. All of us are incredibly fragile, vulnerable, small and little, full of needs and longings. And it doesn't make you a liability. It makes you the very place by which God can show how much love he has. The poorer a person accepts about themselves, so the more you can accept how much you need, the more do you get to tell how much God loves. Remember when Jesus says, I'll never leave you orphans. That means there's no place in your heart that God isn't interested in 
healing, blessing, just being with you. You and I all have stories where we've been hurt, let down, mocked to varying degrees. And Jesus came and said, nothing has power over me. And I have the power to bring you into the Father's arms. I have the power to adopt these places in you where you feel so alone. All we need to do is raise our voices to him and say, I'm here. 